Well, thank you. Let's welcome those joining online in Cambridge, wherever you are from the UK or around the world. I'm so excited about this new series on Around the Table, partly because it's the only series in our 33-year history where we're going to be focusing on the whole theme of food. How good is that? Anyone else love food? I actually love food. <laughs> um, apparently, when I was a boy, I so loved food that I would hum all the way through the meal. Uh, Karen tells me I still sometimes do that today. Uh, but there's something about food. It's amazing, isn't it? But food is more than just something that we need for our own health and sustenance. It's even more than something that's just for our own personal enjoyment. And what this series is about is about the power of eating that has a unique ability to connect us together with other people. It's been said that few acts are more expressive of companionship than a shared meal. Someone with whom we share food is likely to be our friend or well on the way to becoming one. Interesting, um, the root word for uh, companion comes from the Latin cum, which means together or with, and panis, from which we get our word bread. In other words, the word companion literally in its original meaning was someone who you broke bread with or you shared a meal with. Hence, it's been said that food connects. It connects us with family and it turns strangers into friends. Now, how many of you experienced the connection that comes, almost like the deepening of a relationship over a leisurely meal? Anyone experienced that? I've experienced that many, many times over many years. But something happened a few years ago that, as it were, deepened my understanding of the power of leisurely meal times and indeed of feasting and celebrating together. Karen and I uh, were away, had the privilege of being at a friend's villa in Cyprus. And we went up into uh, the hills, into a Cypriot village, and um, we were there um, enjoying a meze. It's a Greek meal where basically you have uh, little portions spread over about anything from 17 to 25 courses. And it was, of course, amazing. And we're there as Brits. We think we're late, uh, sort of half seven on the dot, but we're early. And then as the evening wore on, the Cypriots started arriving. Some of them were in family groups, some were obviously friends together. And as they started coming in, as they relaxed, as they parted, as the music went on, um, as the night wore on, I started feeling really emotional. And it wasn't just the closeness of a romantic meal with Karen, although that was part of it. But I suddenly started getting, as it were, recollections of gospel stories. You see, Cyprus is relatively near to Israel. It's in that sort of same kind of broadly cultural world where feasting and hospitality and leisurely meals together is something that's part of that culture. And as we were there, uh, it was like my eyes were opened as, as, a, as a Brit just to how much Jesus, when he was on the earth, went from mealtime to mealtime, how he had parties, how he celebrated. And as I started thinking about Jesus, it was like my eyes were opened afresh to what he, who he was then, but even more so, I sensed the nearness of his presence. And right there, in the middle of that meze, I started having a fresh encounter with Jesus. Now, that was uh, in sunny Cyprus, 
We are here in largely cloudy England right now. But the fact of the matter is, wherever um, we come from, whatever our cultural background, an acknowledgement that some of you may come from cultures where it's kind of closer to what I've just described, but all of us have the same scriptures. We have the same Bible, and we can look back, and this is what we're going to be doing over the summer, and we can take a fresh look at Jesus. You see, some people think Jesus was awfully serious. There was a serious side to him, you know, just a, sort of a religious kind of guy. No, Jesus was incredibly fun. He was incredibly joyful, and Jesus did much of his ministry around meals, and we're going to be focusing on one of the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, which is Luke's gospel. And just looking at Luke's gospel, there are 50 references to Jesus and food. How many know that's a lot in one gospel? Jesus often taught about meals um, in, as, as, if you like, the kingdom of God, he said, is like a banquet or a feast. He used it metaphorically. And then it's as if, um, and again, this has been an eye-opener to me over the last few months, is that it's almost like the whole of Luke's gospel is framed with a number of meals. There are 10 key times we are, it's recorded when Jesus went to meals. He had, of course, gone many more times. So right at the start, or near the start, Luke chapter 5, when, Luke has, when Jesus has a meal with Levi, all the way through to Luke 24, with the post-resurrection meals of Jesus. It's like Jesus is going from meal to meal. One commentator put it this way, I love this. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. How many you think Jesus might like meals? But it's as if in that world, we need to re-educate ourselves the fact of just how central eating together was, not just in that culture, but Jesus came into that culture as the Son of God. He chose to, as it were, incarnate himself to say there's something about food and its power to connect together with others. And my prayer is that we might see a recovery of that in our lives. And what better time than this summer season? You know, when we've had 16 months of the impact of COVID and so much social distancing. This is not just a timeless message, but I believe as we enter into hopefully freer times ahead, we will, as it were, break down walls and break down isolation. And something's going to happen in our lives, in us as a church family, and indeed in the wider community as we learn from the example of Jesus. And as we do, we're going to freshly, yeah, as we do, we're going to freshly meet him again because we're studying Jesus. But also I believe it will be a way of helping us grow in this whole culture of hospitality. So I've got three encouragements to start the series off. Starting next week, we're going to work through these different mealtime encounters, and they're absolutely amazing. But I just want to start by three, as it were, encouragements. The first is this. Let's connect with friends and church family around the table. Let's connect with friends and church family around the table. As I look back, that's how we started Kingsgate uh, nearly 33 years ago. Uh, most of our, you know, we obviously didn't own a building. Most of our early meetings, in fact, were in our home. And in addition to that, we would have people round. Um, often uh, several times a week, we would host them for meals. And in that kind of community-based culture, something started happening. People started joining. 
We started building deeper relationships. We started making friends with key people. And we started, as it were, sharing meals in one another's homes. We would have pretty raucous parties. Bear in mind, we were in our mid-20s back in those days. (laughs) That was a long time ago, by the way. Um, And we would also go out for meals together. And something started happening, as it were, in the context of eating together and community, ministry and mission began to flow. A few weeks ago, we had some of those same friends around for a barbecue at ours. We played games around the table. We ate together. We had so much fun. At one point, I was laughing so much, I was almost crying. There was something just going on as we connected together. 30 years on, the church has grown much. We do have buildings we often gather in. But here we are, I believe, at a pivotal point, not just in our culture, but I believe as we re-engage into the fullness of what church community is about. You know, whether you're meeting online or whether, you know, and you're away from um, our physical locations or whether you're near to one of our centers, I believe that God wants us to lean into a revival of hospitality. I believe it's a personal challenge to Karen myself, and I want to include many of us to join in that journey too. So why should we do this? Well, firstly, how many know that eating together is fun? Don't look so serious at me. This is good. It's about food and fellowship and feasting. This is good stuff. But something happens, I believe, when we meet with companions. There's almost an exchange of, there's a deepening of connection that happens when we're with others around a table. And of course, that's what Jesus did. If you look through the Gospels, and we look at this incident, for example, you see he had some good friends who were not actually his disciples, not the 12, Lazarus, uh, Martha, and Mary. We see him on one occasion having a meal with some close friends. And of course, he spent, I'm sure, multiple meals with his 12 disciples. We talk about the Lord's Supper or communion, and there's nothing wrong with it. I believe it's important that we sometimes celebrate communions or in a church gathering. But you know, the original context, of course, for the Lord's Supper was what? It was over a meal. It was over the Passover meal. And this connecting together through meals continues into the early church. For those who've been around over uh, the last few months, you know, in our Acts 2 Reviver series, we saw how one of the things the early church did was, and this was natural for them just to, in their culture and following the master, it says they broke bread in their homes, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And that was not just as it were a Jerusalem thing and an early church thing. This continues into into the New Testament world. If we look at Paul's letters, for example, Um, Just one simple example, Romans 12, verse 13 says this. Simply, how many know that the word of God is for us today? Practice hospitality. The the sense is give yourself to hospitality. 1 Peter 4, verse 8 to 9 says, Above all, love each other deeply. How do we do that? He goes on, offer hospitality to one another. I like this, without grumbling. Maybe that's Peter writing particularly to introverts. But I think the point is that there's a sense that sometimes hospitality costs. It maybe costs some money, maybe costs some time, costs some emotional energy. So before we go any further, um, we've got a humorous take, a Kingsgate take on some tips for hospitality. Please watch this. Hello. 
In our modern society, the art of hospitality is oft neglected or perhaps misunderstood. We are delighted to bring to you this instructional film to aid you in your subsequent invitational event. Hello, Sebastian. The first step in your foray into hospitality is to invite actual people to join you for food and or refreshments. Um, Sebastian, don't forget to agree a date and time. Golly, that is a busy month. Next time, try freeing up a few days here and there. Once the date is set, feel free to freshen up your home. Try to avoid unnecessary panic and stress. Remember, a comfortable and relaxing mood is essential for success. Always check the weather prior to your engagement, particularly for those of you residing within the British Isles. When it comes to the refreshments, one should share whatever one is comfortable in providing. Light titbits, a simple lunch or a three-course meal are all fine options. Of course, for those who feel somewhat deficient in their culinary expertise, you can always order a delivery. Make sure your guests know where to meet. Directions can be complicated. There is no requirement to set a dress code. After all, the art of hospitality is making people feel as comfortable as possible. But, I must say, matching bow ties can be serious fun. Even in this modern age, many people suffer with allergies. Always ensure this has been checked in advance. Finally, try asking pertinent questions throughout your time together. It's vital that conversation flows easily. Ah, Sebastian, cue cards. What a splendid idea. Well, Sebastian, your hospitality journey was a great success. You've been welcoming, relaxed and generous whilst keeping a cool head. Congratulations. Wasn't that fun? How many think cue cards are a great idea? But the point I, I want to make is that hospitality is not performing, it's not entertaining. I can think of people who are in this room today when they've hosted Karen and myself, and the thing is, it doesn't feel like that. I'm sure they've put a lot of effort on, but it's like they welcome you into their home, into their family. And so, yes, we want to prepare. Yes, we want to be ready. But I want to, as it were, demystify hospitality a little bit. You don't have to have a, an, an, an amazingly large home. You don't have to have, you know, a, an elaborate meal. It could just be simple as a drink together or nibbles. There's something just about the welcoming spirit of hospitality. So let's eat together um, with one another. Let's we eat together with uh, family and with uh, friends. But secondly, let's not stop there. Because if we look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus didn't, as it were, just meet with his um, immediate circle. He actually reached out and he reached out to others many times through meals. So second encouragement is this. Let's include our community around the table. Now, community to you may be 
your physical neighbours. Maybe as, you know, unlock is happening, you know, you've been seeing neighbours all the way around, maybe it's time to take the next step and to engage with them in some kind of mealtime setting if you haven't already done so. It may be it's um, work colleagues that you're beginning to physically see again or people at the gym or the school gates or um, a social setting. It may be you take the initiative. Uh, you know, people may be a little bit wary and so you might want to start really small just with one person or a couple and as then as things begun to unlock further, it may be um, you could initiate maybe a slightly bigger community gathering, maybe working together with others in your small group. But it's not always the case that we have to invite others. Um, one of the things I love about Jesus is he managed to get himself invited to lots of parties. How many think that's a good model to, to follow? He, he seems to, but it, wherever he is, even if he's the guest, he almost ends up being the host. <laughs> um, I, I know of a couple on team who they're in a village setting and as part of the culture of the village, um, once a month, they all go out, they put their chairs out, they have drinks and nibbles out on the village green. And then um, a, another time, so fortnightly in between, um, they also have times where they go into each other's homes, and I'm sure recently it's been gardens, where they bring a kind of bring and share together. And all this couple have to do is show up. That's not difficult, isn't it? But I appreciate we not, may not be in settings where that's happened. So whether it's us initiating or us responding, let's be open, as it were, to to include and to, uh, to broaden out our mealtimes with others who are not maybe close family, church family, or friends. How many think that um, sounds fun, but maybe a little bit challenging too? But it gets even more challenging when we look at the ministry of Jesus, because Jesus seems to prioritize people, not just in the wider community, but he prioritized people who are actually on the margins of community. You know, mealtimes in the New Testament um, were closely linked to issues of membership, inclusion, and acceptance by social group. In other words, who you and I would meet with if we were back in that culture said something about our in-crowd. It would say something about our social or moral status. So what's shocking, and I think we need to be a bit shocked afresh by it, is that when Jesus starts meeting, was it, was it with the outcasts of society tax collectors, I think Andrew will say more about that. If you're a tax inspector here, that's not the same as a, a tax collector then. So tax collectors and, and uh, sinners probably meant um, uh, prostitutes. Jesus seemed to, to um, have many of his parties with those kind of people. He's breaking down social boundaries. We see him, for example, in Luke 5. He has the meal with Levi, the tax collector. Luke 7, we'll see he's having a meal and it's interrupted by a woman who comes to anoint him. In Luke 14, um, he's having a meal with Pharisees and he starts teaching how we mustn't just invite people who are friends or rich people or people who invite us back, but we're somehow to be inclusive of people in wider society and on the margins. Then, of course, um, I'm sure you've heard the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus gets it, he invites himself to go to have a meal with this tax collector. So the question is, why is he doing it? And why should we do it? Number one reason, because Jesus loves people. Amen? He loves every person, and he loves lost people, people far from God. You're seen in the intro video. It talks about two reasons Jesus came. It says, the Son of Man came 
to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It says the Son of God came to seek and to save what was lost, those who were lost. That's his mission. But then he talks about, if you like, one of his key methods. It says the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And here we have Jesus deliberately, as it were, prioritizing people on the margins. Something I didn't know before I started studying, but the Greek word for hospitality is philoxenia, which literally means love of the stranger. So as we go into this new season, and I'm sure for some of us this is brand new, some of you already are champions of hospitality, but wherever we're at, I want to learn from a Kingsgate champion of hospitality. Please watch this little video from Margaret. The motivation that I have really for hospitality and reaching out to people, I think it stems from when I was a, a little girl really, because I come from a large family. And um, my mother always used to say, we must never cook enough. We must always cook more than enough because you never know who will, who will drop in. Knowing Jesus, he's put a love in my heart for the wider family. And so it become a natural thing for me to reach out to people and say, well, okay, I've, what can I do for my neighbor, you know? And even if, even if the neighbor doesn't come and say, hello, welcome to the neighborhood, I go to the door and say, hello, I've just moved in. I just thought you might like a piece of cake. Hospitality doesn't have to be difficult if you really want to do it. Um, it's easy to reach out to people because you're doing it from your heart, really. Chocolate cake is, is a good thing. Not many people I've ever met who don't like chocolate cakes. And also, um, few people have come and had my dinners as well. I'll take it to them. and. Um, I guess you can do a lot with, with a chicken. You know, lots of different, different dishes you can make. So people don't always have to feel that they have to cook. That is just me. You can invite somebody for a cup of tea. I never thought, well, should I talk to that person or I shouldn't talk to that person? Never. And, and it's worked well because I think it's broken down barriers. Um, whatever people think or thought, if a new person moves in the area, I don't know, I don't ask that. I just simply go and knock on the door. Oh, I thought I'd do this for you. And I've never been refused and, and it's made, um, I believe it's made the neighborhood quite um, friendly. Even those you don't know, you can show hospitality. You know, you can show the love of God. And this is, this is what has carried me through life and what I believe should carry us all through. More than anything, hospitality is about caring but showing love, yeah? Showing people that you care about them, you love them, and uh, that's an expression of, of the love of God that is in us. I think so. Isn't that a wonderful, <clears throat> a wonderful example? I love that little quote, quote of the week for me, there's a lot you can do with a chicken. Or if there's vegetarians here, there's a lot you can do with an aubergine, I'm sure. Um, who would like a neighbor like Margaret? Wow, isn't that amazing? Um, who would maybe like to be inspired by, by example and become a bit of a better neighbor like Margaret? 
And of course, um, you know, I, I feel challenged and hugely inspired by that story and many others of just great champions of hospitality around Kingsgate. I want to grow in this area. I know Karen and I uh, do. Uh, you know, and, and being a neighbour and neighbouring may literally be with your physical neighbours, as I've already said, but it could be, um, you know, people in your workplace or a social setting. But you see, as we imitate Jesus and we really just love people and welcome them, it's not that we go into, in a preaching mode, but I believe that there's relational bridges that can happen and we can expect that sometimes the Lord will open doors naturally supernatural conversations. A great quote here, when you combine a passion for Jesus with shared meals, you create potent gospel opportunities. So let's connect with one another around the table, but let's also be open to taking a next step and including others around the table. And thirdly, central to both, let's welcome Jesus around the table. This is what this series is ultimately all about. It is about hospitality, but it's actually looking at Jesus and believing that he, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, we're not just looking back to him, as it were, at, through the scriptures, at the past example of what he did then through his earthly ministry. How many know that Jesus is alive? He's here by his spirit. And that means just as he, as it were, showed up and revealed himself and his transforming grace, when he was on the earth, we can expect him to do the same as we gather together with others around the table. It's not just a horizontal thing. We can, as it were, have Jesus come and presence himself in our midst. I love the story, and we'll look at this at the end of the series. <clears throat> in Luke 24, about how the two dis- there's two disciples on Easter Sunday. And <clears throat> Jesus has been raised from the dead. He joins them on the journey. They talk about him to him. He talks to them about, from the scriptures about himself, but they don't recognize him. They're walking along. Jesus makes as if to go on, but they make a choice to welcome Jesus into their home. They sit down, have a meal. He breaks bread, and it says at that moment, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Now, Jesus is not here physically, but I want to raise our expectancy that as we eat together, the risen Jesus is going to reveal himself to us in special ways. Amen? Not just kind of past stories about holidays in Cyprus. He's going to reveal himself to us in Peterborough, in Cambridge, in London, in Leicester, wherever you're from. The risen Jesus is going to manifest himself and his grace in wonderful ways. As we connect together, Jesus, as it were, going to join the meal and join the party. So how do we welcome him? Well, just a few things that I've been thinking about. I think partly we need to recapture these mealtime slots. Most of us probably have, on average, 21 slots a week, three meals a day, if you eat three meals a day. I appreciate you're not going to do this with everyone, but why not view certain mealtimes differently? So we're going to carve this out as hospitality. We're going to carve this out as a slightly more leisurely time. And let's believe that the risen Jesus is going to come. If you're connecting with people who maybe are not yet followers of Jesus, obviously to be sensitive, you might want to pray beforehand and just keep anything kind of, you know, that would would put them off or make them feel on guard. But you're expectant as they come. For those who maybe, if we're connecting with people who are are people of faith, um, we can have a... Our faith in the promise of Jesus, Matthew 18, verse 20, where two or three gathered in my name, there am I with them. 
And given what happened in the gatherings in the New Testament, we often interpret that in a church meeting context. Of course, it applies. I wonder whether he's talking particularly about mealtimes. We're gathering in his name. It may be that we think about simple grace. Can I say, if you invite me around, please don't pray a five-minute grace because I'll be hungry. But yeah, honoring the Lord, thanking him for one another, thanking him for the food. It could be including the Lord's Supper in your time together, which, of course, is what Jesus did with his disciples. It will definitely involve, we want to welcome him, him in, honoring Jesus with our conversation, making sure that in our togetherness it's not um, a seedbed for negativity or, or gossip. That, that, that kind of will not welcome the presence of Jesus. But ultimately, I believe it's almost a recapturing of faith and expectancy that somehow there's something wonderful and extraordinary about the very ordinariness of us eating together. I want to kind of begin to close with a wonderful quote. It says this. It's good to be reminded that the table is a very ordinary place, a place so routine and everyday that it's easily overlooked as a place of ministry. At its base, hospitality is about providing a space for God's spirit to move. Setting a table, cooking a meal, washing the dishes is the ministry of facilitation, providing a context in which people feel love and welcome and where God's spirit can be at work in their lives. Whatever it looks like, I love this, your own table is a sacred place, a sacred place. So as we set out on this summer season together, I'm conscious that we'll all be at different places, both in terms of our relationship with Jesus and indeed on our journey of hospitality. But I'd like to give us all an opportunity, whether you're watching at home online or whether you're here um, with us in the room, I want to give you an opportunity. Firstly, to welcome the risen Jesus into your heart in a new way. Maybe you are not yet a follower of Jesus. I'll remind you, Jesus is an amazing character. He transformed people's lives then when he was here, there physically. He wants to transform yours and my lives now by his Holy Spirit. And so just want to invite you, maybe you just want to close your eyes just for a moment. You just want to welcome the risen Jesus into your life again. See, I believe as we go through this series and we look at Jesus again, he is going to reveal himself in new ways. But let's start the journey right today. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, why not welcome him into your life right now? You see, he not only lived a great life to model something for us, he died a sacrificial death on the cross to pay the price that we might be right with God now and forever, that we might become children of God. And then he rose and triumphed over death that we might enjoy a heavenly banquet for all eternity. But just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus had to welcome Jesus, it's an opportunity today for us to welcome. So with your, maybe your eyes closed, maybe your hands stretched out, why don't you just pray a simple prayer? Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you came, you lived a great life. You died on a death on the cross for my sins, that I might be forgiven and set free, that I might become a child of God. Lord, forgive me 
or I've tried to do life my way. I turn my life to you. I open the door of my heart and invite you to come in. For those of you not yet Christians, invite the Holy Spirit into your life. He wants to change you from the inside out. If we're already Christians, why not just welcome his presence right now? Holy Spirit, I pray for every single one of us. You will manifest to us and reveal to us the risen Jesus in a whole new way. Lord, I want to be a follower of yours. I want to follow in your footsteps and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time, you can kind of check out online and somebody would love to follow up uh, with you. But also, I'd just like to join all of us and maybe those of us in the room, we could stand. And I want us to think about our homes or our table. Maybe we could just stand together. It says, well as welcoming him into our hearts, let's welcome him into our homes. Conscious that for some, as I mentioned a few times, this is, this is your area. Maybe you've got a gift of hospitality. You've been a champion and we want to learn from you. Others of us, it may be something that we've done in the past. Could be just the last 16 months has obviously knocked things off course. And it's a time to say, Lord, I want a revival of hospitality. For some of you, this is pretty brand new. Maybe even something you're a bit hesitant about. Well, let's start where we're at and take a next step. What does that next step look, for, look like for you? And why don't you think about your table? It might be an outdoor setting in your garden. It might be in your kitchen, your living room. It could even be a favorite spot at a coffee shop that you take people to. Just as we've opened our hearts, why don't we just now pray? Lord, as we think about the sacred place, we've, many of us have never seen it like that before. The sacred place of our table. Lord, as we take next steps in connecting with those who are close to us and including those who may be further away from us, we want, as it were, consecrate our tables to the Lord and ask that you would come and you would do a truly wonderful thing amongst us. This summer, there would be a deepening of relationships with others and fresh sense of encounters with you this summer. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, let's now together, let's lift up the wonderful name of Jesus. His name is wonderful, it's beautiful, it's powerful. Let's declare the amazing wonder of Jesus. Let's give him praise for his goodness and his grace.